He's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. It's the Mark K Show. Listen, like, share. What's up, everybody? This is the Mark K Show, and I am a little annoyed, but I think, thank God, I, I think I worked it out. I called Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, for those of you that, that aren't aware of how this works, this is a multimedia presentation. If you're listening to the podcast on iTunes or on Google Play or wherever you happen to be listening to it, first of all, thanks. That's awesome. I love it. Uh, but just so you know how we record this, I record the bro- the podcast live on Facebook. And while I'm recording it on Facebook, or while I'm recording the podcast, I also have the Facebook live video going at, for a couple reasons. Number one, I like the way I look. Uh, number two, it, it gives I get live feedback from people. I can see who's watching. People comment. It makes it a little more you know interactive. I can see what people are responding to, what they're not responding to, and uh, you know and that kind of thing. And it helps me as a to give you the best listening and broadcast experience possible. Uh, also, it helps me uh, to to grow the show to reach new people. And so what happened moments ago was I went online and I started my Facebook video. And for the second day in a row, people were complaining that I was frozen, uh, like Elsa, that they couldn't hear me, that they couldn't see me, that the feed wasn't right. And so I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? I went on, I, I got to Mark Zuckerberg. I went to the highest upper echelons of Facebook and I was like, what's what are you doing zuckerberg are you trying to are you trying to quell my free speech um and he said well, just, you know what restart your computer and see if that helps uh and i did that and it did i'm mark zuckerberg man he's a genius <laughs> also he's rich uh but listen a couple things first of all uh thank you so much again for listening thanks for watching uh before we get into the nitty-gritty we have some breaking news we have some breaking news. My phone just blew up. Betsy DeVos has been confirmed in a historic confirmation by the Senate. Betsy DeVos is our new Secretary of Education after a, a heated debate, after a long battle in the Senate, a, a 50-50 vote. Mike Pence, you know, everyone's like, Mike, Mike Pence is going to have to be the tie-breaking vote. Mike Pence is going to have to come in and save the day. And uh, that's what he did. He came and he saved the day. And now Betsy DeVos has been confirmed as, as Secretary of Education. This is important for a few reasons. Number one, we have a Secretary of Education who can make education great again. Mega, if you will. Uh, second of all, we now can move on to Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Attorney General Jeff Sessions. The Senate was... Per- My buddy Jamie Dupree, who has a great blog at jamiedupree.com, uh, my, Jamie Dupree went into went in depth on this and on his blog, but basically Jeff Sessions has had a, uh, a a very crucial role in the confirmation of many of these people, including Betsy DeVos. They knew that they would need every single vote they could get, so they put off the confirmation of Jeff Sessions as Attorney General, uh, so that they could utilize him as a senator. Now that clears the way for the Senate to go in and confirm, uh, to go in and confirm uh, Jeff Sessions as our Attorney General. Mark Mayfield, by the way, who's watching on Facebook, as I mentioned earlier, said Mike Pence has already done more than Joe Biden did, <laughs> which which is true, which is true. In seventeen days, in seventeen days, Mike Pence has broken more ties in the Senate than Joe Biden did in eight years. Mark Mayfield, that is a great point. Maybe. Maybe Mike Pence should be given the Presidential Medal of Freedom with honors. Probably it won't happen, though, uh, because that would be that would be an abuse of power, as we discussed earlier. Listen, if you are watching on the Facebook again, thanks for being here. And I would love for you to share this. Just hit that share button and let your friends know that we are live 
Better late than never, but we are here. We want them to be part of this. We want them to watch and enjoy. We want them to comment, and we want them to share it too. Uh, so if you like what you hear, and, and if you're excited to talk about killing and killers and American-born killers who are the best kind of killers, uh, then go ahead, like, hit that like button. Like I said, hit that share button. And if you're listening on the podcast, if you're listening like in the future, then first of all, I hope the future is as nice as I, I always dreamed it would be. And second of all, um, and second of all, I'd like to say, you know, you can share the podcast too. Uh, share it with your friends and family. Uh, share it with your enemies and your and your non-relatives. You know, just post it on your Facebook page or tweet it out or uh, put, put it in an email and say, you know what? I was listening to the show and I think you might like it and send it to, I don't know, 20 20 of your friends. Don't spam anybody because we don't want you to get in trouble with uh, with the Chinese who now own the internet. But we'll, we, we want you to you know, help spread the word. All right, let's talk about killers and killing and and killers in America specifically and and government heads of large governments who kill people because this is this is a real point of contention this is kind of where we've we've come in our in our uh, in our republic in our in our government uh, ever since Donald Trump became president we we had a, a really big discussion uh, on the Herman Cain show earlier I filled in for Herman Cain today and yesterday and this is something that came up and people kind of were really interested in in running with it and we got a lot of different points of view before the Super Bowl Bill O'Reilly aired an interview he had with Donald Trump. Now, the interview was shot like last week sometime. Uh, the interview was shot last week sometime. But the important thing to know is that in this interview, uh, Donald Trump was asked a question by Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly interviewed Donald Trump a week ago. It aired before the Super Bowl. And they had a back and forth about a lot of different issues. One of them was Russia. And one of them was specifically was Vladimir Putin. And it was Donald Trump's relationship with Vladimir Putin. Here is a little bit of, here's like 30 seconds of the back and forth. Listen to what both men say. I say it's better to get along with Russia than not. And if Russia helps us in the fight against ISIS, which is a major fight and Islamic terrorism all over the world, right. major fight, that's a good thing. Will I get along with them? I have no idea. He's a killer, though. Won't. Putin's a killer. A lot of killers. We got a lot of killers. Well, you think our country's so innocent? You think our country's so innocent? I don't know of any government leaders that are killers in America. Well, take a look at what we've done, too. We've made a lot of mistakes. I've been against the war in Iraq from the beginning. Yeah, mistakes are different then. A lot of mistakes, okay, but a lot of people were killed. So a lot of right. killers around, believe me. All right, so Bill O'Reilly is asking Donald Trump about Vladimir Putin and their relationship, and Donald Trump says, I think we should have a great relationship with Russia. I think it's important. I mean, we're trying to fight ISIS. We're trying to do all sorts of, you know, uh, incredible things around the around the entire globe, and Russia is, I mean, Vladimir Putin's probably, after Donald Trump, the second most powerful man in the in the world. Actually, I'm sorry. I guess it would be Steve Bannon, if depending on who you read. So it would be Donald Trump, Steve Bannon, and then Vladimir Putin. Trump, Bannon, uh, and then Putin. Or if you, you know, if you read some really liberal publications, it would be Bannon, Trump, and then Putin as far as uh, as far as the importance and, and the uh, the power in the entire United States or in the in entire world. So that's kind of where uh, the question started off. Now, the thing I don't understand is why Bill O'Reilly would seem shocked or anyone would seem shocked because like I said, Donald Trump's been taking a lot of heat for these comments. Why would anyone be shocked for Donald Trump to say there are a lot of killers in the United States of America. In fact, I thought that what, that's one of the things we prided ourselves on. 
Don't we pride ourselves on the fact that we we have the best trained killers in the world, that our military, our Navy SEALs, our Black Ops, our Army Rangers, our, you know, whoever our, whoever we put in charge of these kinds of things, don't we? Isn't that something that we're excited about, that America can kill people better than anyone else in the entire world? Haven't we always done that? I mean, even, let's go back. Let's go back, because Bill O'Reilly said, specifically, I don't know of any world leaders, especially here in America, who are killers. But, but, but there's, I mean, let's go back to, to Harry Truman, for example. Harry Truman killed thousands and thousands of people. Not him, he didn't pick up a gun and do it. He gave the order for the Enola Gay to drop bombs, atomic bombs, on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I mean, he wiped out two entire cities. Two entire cities of people just destroyed, given the order by a president of the United States of America. Why? Because he wanted to end a war, and he was successful. How many lives did he save by killing these lives? We don't know. But if you, when it all comes down to it, Harry Truman, an American-born killer. Effective, massive amounts of casualties. Nobody, Bill O'Reilly never had a problem with that. Another one, Barack Obama. Do you remember just a few years ago when Barack Obama was so proud that they finally killed Osama bin Laden? It was like 1130 at night and he held a press conference. I remember my wife came in and my wife was like, wake up, wake up. He's dead. He's dead. And I go, oh my God, who, who? And she goes, Osama bin Laden. And we turned on the TV and Barack Obama came out in the middle of the night and he was all puffed up. And he was like, 30 minutes ago, I found word that uh, Osama bin Laden was being held up in a fortress in the Middle East. And I gave a Navy SEAL team the order to go in there and take care of business. And they reported to me that Osama bin Laden is now dead. God bless America. And he gave the order to that SEAL team, SEAL Team 6, to go in there. They found him. They went in there and they put a bullet in his head, right in his face. Just, you know, ba-bam. Done. He was gone. He was a goner. Killed by order of the President of the United States. So that's, that's two presidents, right? That's two world leaders, both of whom are American both of whom are born in America. Well, one questionably so. And, and they're killers. And then you, could, you can go back to, to the Iraq war. What about Saddam Hussein? He was put to death after we liberated his country under the helm of, of, of George W. Bush. What about Vietnam? I mean, there have been the Korean War. Every time a president gives an order that we know of publicly for troops to go in and invade somewhere in Kuwait. Okay, in Kuwait, nobody died, supposedly. But every time a president gives an order for the best trained men and women, the best trained fighting force in the United in the in the history of the world, Navy SEALs, Navy SEALs, Marine Corps, these people sign up and day one they are taught how to kill. How to kill effectively, how to kill quickly, and how to kill without being killed in the process. The best, tra listen to this, I just don't understand what, what's going on in Bill O'Reilly's head. I say it's better to get along with Russia than not. And if Russia helps us in the fight against ISIS, which is a major fight, and Islamic terrorism all over the world, right. major fight, that's a good thing. Will I get along with him? I have no idea. He's a killer, though. Won't. Putin's a killer. A lot of killers. We've got a lot of killers. Why, you think our country's so innocent? Mm. 
You think our country's so innocent? No, it's not innocent. But the fact of the matter is, it's killing for the point of necessity. It's killing to protect Americans and the American way of life and the American ideals that we all... The, you know, here's the thing. When the president takes the oath of office, when the pre- they, they swear an oath that they will uh, defend Americans from all threats, foreign and domestic, and that it may involve... Uh, that may involve ordering the attack of an innocent people or a not so innocent people. It may involve the uh, the accidental death of civilians or soldiers. Yep, heck, even our own soldiers sometimes die by friendly fire. I mean, killing is <laughs> killing. Is, our whole country was founded by a war. You understand? War it was war is the reason this country is a thing. The United States only exists because a bunch of people said, hey, let's go kill some British soldiers so we can be independent. It's been that way since day one. We've even gone to war with ourselves. This is something that has been long. I don't know what's going on with Bill O'Reilly. Now, Bill O'Reilly is also getting some heat for this from, of all people, (laughs) from, of all people, um, the Russians. They are not happy with Mr. O'Reilly for classifying Vladimir Putin as a killer. Even though I'm pretty sure that's a fair assessment. Uh, Russian spokesman Dmitry S. Peskov. And how stereotypical is it to have a spokesman for the Kremlin named Dmitry? It's like it's like Dmitry, Boris, or Vladimir. Those are your those are your three choices whenever it comes to a Russian spokesman or a Russian ambassador or a Russian leader. And Vladimir was already taken, so they had to go. So they had to go. <laughs> they had to go with. Uh, well, they had to go with Vladimir, uh, with uh, Dmitry rather. Uh, Dmitry Peskov told reporters that we consider such words from a Fox News correspondent to be unacceptable, insulting. We would prefer to receive apologies to our president from such a respectable television network. Uh, Mr. O'Reilly has no plans to apologize for his comments about about Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump. I mean, look, no one should need to apologize, but the fact of the matter is you have men and women in this country who dedicate their lives to taking the lives of other people, people who would harm us, people who would hurt us. And the president of the United States and the joint chiefs of staff and everyone who sits on the security council, everyone in the war room, and a lot of people in the Congress and the Senate who sit on various committees are also tasked with Sometimes the destruction of another person in in the, uh, the protection of the United States of America and the Constitution. And that's just the way it is. And Bill O'Reilly knows that. And so the, the liberals and the press and everybody else, here's what they did. They took this comment, as they like to do, and they twisted it and they manipulated it. And they basically are now portraying Donald Trump as somebody who is callous and somebody who is saying that America is not innocent, that we have we have killed innocent people. And that he is he is soft on Russia, that he is friendly with Vladimir Putin. And and he's he's basically excusing Vladimir Putin's social injustices and his attacks on on innocent civilians and his his invasion of, of foreign countries. Donald Trump is saying Vladimir Putin's a okay in my book. And that's not at all what he's saying. That's not at all what he's saying. And in fact, I'll be honest with you, the the opposite is probably most likely true. Somebody called up during the Herman Cain show and said, what do they want Donald Trump to do? Go on TV before the Super Bowl and call Vladimir Putin uh, a killer and a murderer and a heathen and, 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 a, and a moron and call him all these horrible names and then pick up the phone and say, hey, can we meet and talk about ISIS? It's not going to happen. You can't do that. When you need, 
Oh, I just kicked the camera. When you need to, uh, when you need to sit down at the negotiating table with someone, you need to have a positive relationship with them. And you can't do what Bill O'Reilly did when you're the president of the United States. When somebody powerful who you need to have a strong working relationship with, when you're going to sit down, when you need to be able to pick up the phone and call them and get them to help you with situations, get them to respond to you, get them to respect you, you can't go around on national television calling them names. Bill O'Reilly doesn't have to sit down with Vladimir Putin, but he shouldn't be putting Donald Trump in a position to do it. And nobody else should be claiming that Donald Trump is wrong in any means, in any way, about the things that he said. Because pretty much every president of the United States that we've ever had, from George Washington all the way through to uh, to President Barack Obama, with maybe the exception of that one dude who died, was it William Henry Harrison, like 30 days after he died of pneumonia like like two weeks after he took office. Maybe he's the only exception. Every president is a world leader and an American-born killer. I mean, you could look at even Benghazi. Hillary Clinton, now she, what, she didn't directly kill uh, Ambassador Stevens and the three other Americans who died there. Um, you know, we know that she was asleep at the time, but she didn't do anything to help the situation. Somebody else brought up uh, Fast and the Furious. Now, again... What happened was we didn't actually kill the people in Mexico with the cartels, uh, but what happened was we gave them the weapons. However, guns don't kill people. People kill people. So maybe maybe Barack Obama's off the hook uh, for that one. Anyway, this is this is something that's going to happen. And I and I, I made this comment to uh, a woman who called in and said, look, you know, I voted for Donald Trump. My friends voted for Donald Trump. But after hearing these comments to Bill O'Reilly, after hearing him say, America's not innocent. After hearing him say, we've got a lot of killers in this country, after reading all the tweets and hearing all the other stories and everything, and this executive order banning Muslims, which never even happened. After hearing all of this, she's like, I just, I feel like maybe I made the wrong choice. Maybe I made a mistake. And I said to her, you you have to realize that this is going to be constant. This is going to be constant for the next four years, minimum. A vote for Donald Trump is not something you do once. A vote for Donald Trump is not something you did one time. You didn't walk in on November 8th, cast your vote for Donald Trump, walk out thinking that you would never have to vote for him again. On the contrary, this man, this administration, this person that you put into office is being attacked incessantly by everybody in the media, in the government, internationally. I'll tell you what I'll tell you what the British were saying about him just the other day in, in just a minute. Being attacked by everybody on all sides at all times, constantly. It's only been 17 days. So if you can't hack it, if you think you know you voted and you were one and done, uh-uh. This is an ongoing battle. You've got to continue to vote and continue to support every single day, you know? Get yourself an energy bar. Get yourself, you know, stock up on cliff bars and five hour energy and no dose and whatever else you need, because, uh, because you're going to have, you're going to have a long, I mean, it's going to be a long haul. There's a lot at stake here and Donald Trump is, is being attacked and you are too. If you voted for him, if you went to, to one of the rally, look, all these people at the rallies, I saw you, I heard you. That energy, that enthusiasm, that rallying war cry, that excitement about what the future holds in store, what America could be, that's what got your candidate into the Oval Office. And now that he's there, he's getting it from every single angle. Not just his enemies on the left, not just his enemies on uh, in the press, in the media, not just his enemies from foreign countries, 
but also his enemies on the right, also his friends in the media. Bill O'Reilly? Come on, dude. Throw the, throw the guy a bone. Don't make it harder on him. I mean, Donald Trump doesn't care. He'll answer any question, honestly. That's different than any other politician, and that's another reason why he's sitting where he is today. But if you're a supporter of him, you have to maintain that support, and it's not going to be an easy task. Why am I here every day sitting in this chair? Because. <laughs> because it's going to be, it's a daily task. There is so much misinformation. There is so much, there is so much twisted information. There is so much fake news coming out of every single orifice that you need to sit down and look at it and dissect it and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait one second. And let's look at what's really happening here. Let's look at what's really happening here. Let's look at who's attacking Donald Trump. Let's look at their motives for attacking Donald Trump. And let's look at Donald Trump's response. And if you look at his response, you're going to realize that he's 100% right. He's 100% right. There are killers in America. America is not innocent. And the reason we're so powerful today and we maintain our power is because we have the best trained killers in the entire world, living and fighting and working right here in the United States. Occasionally, we ship them overseas to do a job, uh, and then eventually, you know, uh, we bring them, we bring them back here. Then we ship them out. Uh, it's like an ongoing, it's an ongoing process. Speaking of enemies, speaking of enemies in British Parliament, this is an ongoing thing as well. There's a speaker in there, uh, the um, Speaker of the House of Commons, which. Don't expect me to, to explain adequately the British political system to you because I don't even think they understand it. I don't know anyone who fully comprehends what's going on in Great Britain. As far There's a lot of yelling and screaming, but this is there's the House of Commons, there's the House of Lords. I think one of them's like conservative, one of them's whatever. Uh, but ba this was a guy, he's the Speaker of the House of Commons. His name is John Burkow. And here's what he said about, uh, about Donald Trump and his recent executive order. Before the imposition of the migrant ban, I would myself have been strongly opposed to an address by President Trump in Westminster Hall. After the imposition of the migrant ban by President Trump, I am even more strongly opposed to an address by President Trump in Westminster Hall. Uh, 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 pip, 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 jolly good, jolly good, my good man. Every time a British politician speaks, it's like listening to a Monty Python skit. It's, it's like I just imagine, it's like John Cleese is every British politician, male or female. And every single British politician in, in the, in the, in the uh, UK could be John Cleese. Because uh, that's exactly, that's how they all sound and that's how they all talk. But he's basically saying, I was opposed to Donald Trump beforehand. After the migrant ban, I'm super opposed to him. So let's break that apart. This is what the media is reporting as news. They're basically saying there's no way Donald Trump is going to be speaking at parliament when he goes for a state visit. Uh, visit. What, they, what they're not mentioning to you is there was probably no way before because as this guy just stated, he was pre-opposed to Donald Trump before the executive order banning migration from those seven uh, countries for 120 days. He had already made up his mind, but that's not the story that's released. He's basically reaffirming a fact that we already knew and the press is running with it as if it's some kind of brand new story. And he continues. An invitation to a visiting leader to deliver an address there would be issued in the names issued. of the two speakers. I would not wish to issue an invitation to President Trump 
to speak yeah, in no. the Royal Gallery. Uh, uh, spice Girl, Spice Girl, Jolly, uh, Scary Spice. Uh, well, sorry. Uh, he does not wish to issue any kind of invitation to Donald Trump to come and speak at Westminster uh, Abbey or wherever wherever the hell uh, they speak. And then, of course, this is the thing that always gets me because then these politicians start rattling off the reasons they don't like the president of the United States. They start rattling off all the things that they disagree with the president on. However, if they did what we do here each and every day on this podcast, if they did what we do here each and every day on this Facebook Live video, if they did what we do each and every day on the radio, what Herman Cain does, what Rush Limbaugh, what Sean Hannity, what all, even Bill O'Reilly when he's not being a jerkwad to the president. What, what these people, what we're doing is we're saying, stop, look, listen, consider the source, and then hear what they're actually saying. Then don't jump to conclusions about the response of the president. Really read into it and see what he's saying. Listen to the last thing that this guy says. If you listen to it, you'll realize he's basically agreeing with every one of Donald Trump's agenda items. I feel very strongly that our opposition to racism and to sexism and our support for equality before the law and an independent judiciary are hugely important considerations in the House of Commons. I mean, that is just, that, that, I don't understand. His objection to racism and, and sexism. Nobody in Donald Trump's White House is pro-racism or pro-sexism. The opposite is true. You have a White House that doesn't see sex, doesn't see race, and treats everybody equally. Case in point, go to Donald Trump's Twitter. He, he lambasts men, women, black people, Muslims, Asians, Australians, world leaders, all equally. If you are doing a great job, it doesn't matter what color you are, what, what parts you have, who you sleep with, uh, who your parents are. Donald Trump doesn't care. If you're doing your job, if you go in there and you do your job, then you are a winner. And it doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man or an African or a Mexican or somebody from North Dakota. It doesn't matter if you're a Canuck. You could be anything. If you if you are not doing what you're supposed to, if you're slacking, if you're lazy, if you're taking advantage, if you're a liar, then you are a loser. And Donald Trump treats everybody equally. The, the comments he made about Carly Fiorina during the debate just proves that he sees her as an equal competitor for a prize that he wanted to win. The, the Republican nomination. He didn't treat her differently. He didn't treat her with kid gloves because she was a woman. He treated her just as badly as he did Jeb Bush or Chris Christie or little Marco Rubio. He is the least sexist and racist person. He thinks everybody, everybody is below him. Also, when it comes to an, in, in, an independent judiciary, that's all Donald Trump wants too. He wants every branch of government to act independently from the others. He doesn't want collusion. He doesn't want anyone working behind the scenes. And he wants an independent judiciary. Now that goes both ways. He's not going to interview with the courts and he doesn't want the courts to interview, intervene with him. And what happened in Seattle, Washington is a court overriding a decision, a, a Washington appellate court, by the way, overriding a, 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 an executive order nationally, overriding it, basically putting a stay on, an, on a president's executive order for the federal government 
to protect its citizens. And he doesn't want that happening. So he's going to, of course, speak out against it as he has every right to do. Now, that's the other thing. That's the other thing. People mis- mistake Donald Trump's attacks on people as 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 weakness or uh, as anger or as uh, you know, basically what are the, what's it? A temperament, a bad temperament. Let me tell you a story. I told this on the Herman Cain show, and and I think it's something that people can actually, I think that people actually uh, can can agree with. Uh, by the way, if you haven't yet shared this, please do so, because what I'm about to tell you is something. I'm going to sum up Donald Trump's entire theory on leadership and 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 ruling the United States as the executive uh, uh, chief as a commander in chief I'm gonna I'm gonna sum it up for you in one metaphor in just one second okay go ahead take a minute to share this I know a DUI attorney he advertises on the little disposable uh coasters that you get at the bar and anytime you go out to the bar, in Jacksonville, Florida, you go to the beach bars, they throw down a coaster and he, his picture's on it and his number and he says, pop this in your pocket. And he says, uh, if you get in trouble, if you get it pulled over for DUI, call me, I can help. And on the back, he has your your bill of rights as a DUI suspect or whatever. And he uh, he always gives me, we've had him on the show a couple of times, he gives out free advice. He never, by the way, says don't drink and drive because he's a DUI attorney, he needs the business. But he does say when you're pulled over, Uh, the police will act in a way where they are trying to build a case against you. They are trying to compile evidence against you. They are trying to basically make you out to be a criminal so that when you get to court, they have everything they need to prove to the judge or the jury or whomever that you are indeed a criminal. And that's something a lot of people aren't aware of. Dash cams, body cams, body recorders. When you get pulled over by a cop and you're asked to walk that line, you are you are all all, all automatically you are being uh, looked at and recorded, and and they're trying to compile evidence against you. And he says that the cops will start asking you questions. They'll say something like, "Have you been drinking?" And you say, "No." They'll say, "Are you drunk?" And you say, "No." And then he'll say, "Well, why are your eyes bloodshot?" Why, why are you slurring your words? Why do you smell like alcohol? And then when you get into court, they're going to play that back for the jury or they're going to read the transcript and, and they're going to hear that your eyes were bloodshot. You were slurring your words and you smell like alcohol. Well, that's going to lead them to believe you were drunk and you are a horrible person and you should go to jail. That's what they're going to believe because that's what they were told and they were told nothing else. But that recorder will also record what you say and what you do. And that's why my friend, the DUI attorney always says, if that happens and the cop says, why are your eyes bloodshot? You immediately say back, they are not bloodshot. My eyes are perfectly fine. And if he says, why are you slurring your speech? You say, I am not slurring my speech. I'm talking perfectly normally the way a sober person would talk. And if he says, why do you smell like alcohol? You say, I do not smell like alcohol. I do not smell. I smell perfectly normal. You don't make excuses. You simply just deny because now when the cop goes into the courtroom, he has no evidence. It's your word against his word. And the tape brings up, but there's some doubt. You've put doubt in the jury. If it's just you listening to a cop say your eyes are bloodshot, you smell like liquor and you're slurring your words, you're going to jail. You're losing your license. You're going to be in traffic school for the rest of your life. But if you come back and say none of those things are true, now the jury's thinking, well, maybe they, maybe they weren't true. Just because the cop says it doesn't make it so. 
That's Donald Trump's entire presidency, folks. Every single day. You've got the press saying Donald Trump is soft on Russia. Donald Trump is friends with Putin. Uh, Donald Trump is a racist. Donald Trump hates Muslims. Donald Trump is trying to ban Muslims from the United States. Donald Trump said this about women. Donald Trump wants women to wear dresses. Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. There, there's this obsession with him. And it's, it's, all in an, it's all in an effort to wear you down so that you, who voted for him last November, will not have the ability to maintain what is a hectic pace for the next four years. And you will begin, like that courtroom full of jurors or like that judge, you will begin to start questioning. If, if you sat there and you just listened to every horrible thing the press said about Donald Trump and what these parliamentary fools in Great Britain said about Donald Trump, if you, if you heard all of that stuff over and over again without any contrary information, you'd think he was a horrible person too. And that's why Donald Trump argues. And that's why Donald Trump calls people out. And that's why he refuses to answer questions from CNN and calls them fake news. And that's why he tweets. That is the reason he tweets. Because it's his way of telling the jury, all of these people are wrong. There are two sides to every story. You're getting one of them, and I'm going to give you the other one. And that's why he went on Twitter. And he said, I don't know Putin, have no deals in Russia, and the haters are going crazy. Yet Obama can make a deal with Iran, number one in terror, no problem. That's why he goes on and tweets, the failing New York Times was forced to apologize to its subscribers for the poor reporting it did on my election win. Now they are worse. The failing New York Times writes total fiction concerning me. They have gotten it wrong for two years and are now making up stories and sources. If you sit and listen to what the New York Times says over and over again, you're going to begin to believe it. And Donald Trump saying, I'm not going to let that happen. They are wrong, and I have a right as an American to defend myself against these lies and allegations. That's why his wife has uh, reinstated her $150 million libel suit. Because the press has to answer. Look, I wrote a piece on my website. I'm going to read this to you quickly. I wrote a piece on my website the other day because I was, I was kind of, this actually, this was inspired by Lady Gaga. I woke up this morning and Lady Gaga was getting lambasted for faking, get this, faking her Super Bowl halftime show. How do you fake a show? How do you fake a show? Lady Gaga, if you watched the Super Bowl, she's on top of NRG Stadium, right? And she's singing God Bless America. Nice patriotic theme song. And then in the background, you start to realize, look, the stars, they're changing color and they're moving around. And wow, that's amazing. And then you realize it's, it must be some kind of LED drone. Either that or the NFL is so powerful that they can actually move the stars. And you're watching this thing and you see the chord. You go, this is great. There's Lady Gaga. She's on top of NRG Stadium. She's got these drones flying around her. She's singing patriotic songs. Something. How is she going to get from the roof of the stadium inside to the field where she's going to do the rest of her performance? And then she, quote unquote, jumps. With liberty and justice for all. Okay. Now, here's where the media freaked out this morning. She didn't actually jump, folks. She did. She was dangling from the rafters the whole time. What you saw was pre-recorded, her on the stadium roof with the drones in the air, pre-recorded for time or for whatever. And then she jumped in and she came down and she finished her song. 
Uh, she finished her act, and it was great. Uh, and this morning, the press laid into her. If you Google Lady Gaga fake, you'll see a ton of stories about how she faked a show. You cannot fake something that is a show because it's not real to begin with. You know, it's like it's like, it's like saying the movie was fake. That movie was fake. That movie was fake. In La La Land, they didn't really... They didn't really they didn't really stop on the highway and dance on their cars like that transformer those transformers aren't real they didn't come from you know, Alderaan the D- Darth Vader never blew up Alderaan with the death star because it's not a real planet Titanic those people didn't actually die when that ships okay well in real okay that's a bad example because in real life that was based on yes the people on the Titanic died the people in the movie did not Leonardo DiCaprio lived. He went on to win an Oscar uh, for that movie where he also didn't get killed by a bear. So there you go. Uh, there you go. I mean, it, it all it all is, is this vicious cycle. So they're attacking Lady Gaga this morning for faking the Super Bowl. And you want to know the reason why they're attacking her is because they're mad at her. They're mad at Lady Gaga because she didn't attack Donald Trump. And she didn't make her she didn't make her one opportunity to attack him in front of the entire world on the on the biggest stage. She did not get political when she had the opportunity in front of hundreds of millions of people. She missed the boat, man. She screwed it up. She could have she could have come out with some kind of political message and really let and let Donald Trump have it at the Super Bowl when his team was losing which we all know they went on to one. But at the, at the time, they were losing bad. Wow, that would have been a knockout blow. And she chose, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be an entertainer today because that's what people expect from me. I'm not going to make this political. I'm gonna, and I'm going to sing my songs and I'm going to say hi to my mom and dad and then I'm going to go home and I'm going to eat, my, uh, I'm gonna eat some of uh, my meat dress. And, uh, and that's going to be, that's going to be, you know, that's going to be it. Uh, but that, that's why they're mad at her. And so they're attacking everybody. Uh, and Donald Trump is, is no different. He's getting it from all angles and he will continue to get it from every single angle. But I, but I wrote this, um, I wrote this piece on my website, markk.com and you can check it out. It's called the fifth branch of government. And I'm going to leave you with this today. I'm going to leave you with this today. A free press is crucial. It is ridiculously important. It is up there in the very first amendment with other super important stuff like freedom of speech and freedom of religion. So important is the free press that it is actually appropriately called quote, the fourth branch of government. It offers checks and balances on all three of the other branches with extra heavy emphasis on the executive branch. I'd like to add, but who in the end checks and balances the press? If they are indeed the fourth branch of government, which branches of government check and balance them? Until now, none. You know, you've got the press digging into the campaign contributions of and investment portfolios of all our elected officials. They're searching for uh, conflicts and scandals and lies. But who is investigating the investigators? When the press blows a whistle on somebody uh, or on a bill or a law or the congressman who wrote it, it often totally implodes and it usually takes a career or two with it. Consequently, when they miss a story or underreport a story or just flat out ignore a story, it goes away. Each branch of government wields their own power. The press is no different. Each must be contained by the other. But who contains the press? Who contains the fourth branch of government? And that duty falls on the fifth branch of government. The fifth branch of government. That's the one that the Constitution deems the most important. 
So vital is the fifth branch of government that they were named by the founding fathers before any other, before the president, before the Congress, before the courts, and before the almighty press. In fact, before any single right was granted to any citizen by the architects of our republic, they mention the fundamental fifth branch of government upon which all others, official or otherwise, are built. The fifth branch of government. It's clearly laid out in the very first phrase they wrote. We the people of the United States of America. <laughs> 